In this episode of the Automotive Talent Show podcast, we discuss the weather in New Zealand and also the market conditions there, consumer confidence, and never wasting a good crisis. Let's get into it. Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Automotive Talent Show podcast, the podcast where we get to know and gain insights from leaders within the automotive industry. My guest this week comes from the land of the long white cloud, New Zealand, and works in one of the largest privately held dealer groups in the country. Welcome to the podcast, Trent Ingham. How are you, my friend? Good. Yourself? I can't complain too much. We're recording this on a Wednesday. It's uh, it's near near the end of June. It's a nice nice winter's day here on the Gold Coast. How's the uh, what's the weather doing over in your part of the world? Uh, oh, well, it's our winter season too, but it's pretty warm at the moment. Well, there you go. It's uncharac- not a lot of rain. Not a lot of rain. Yeah, uncharacteristically chilly in this part of the world. We don't like wearing jumpers usually at the best of times, as you know. So, so Trent. Um, tell tell us about tell us about you and introduce yourself. I suppose, obviously, as we said, you work in one of the largest privately held dealer groups, and and people that would know the market would probably draw the draw the um, draw the conclusion of the group that you work in. But tell us about tell us about yourself and and the group that you work in. Yep. So uh, our company is uh, called Ingham Motor Group. So we've got nine car dealerships in the North Island of New Zealand with. Um, uh, you know, half a dozen new car franchises, um, and we employ about 300 staff. So my role in the company is we have uh, a management company, which we call Ingham Group Services, so I head up that, um, and within that we've got a team of our accountants, marketing, IT, human resources. Yeah, yeah, you, you're, definitely, uh, you're definitely on the more of the strategic arm of the business, more of working on the infrastructure side of the business more than... In the in the business itself, you're more like working on the business part. Yeah, um, it's probably been scaled back a bit over the last couple of years because we've finished the, a lot of the projects that we wanted to build, uh, but we definitely still have a few that we're working on. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that you know, you and I have known each other for a little while now, and and one thing that I've known to be true about about you and the way the organisation has gone about things is that fair to say. Fair to say, I, I would put I would put the group into what I would call the progressive category. You know, you 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 think you you think about the industry in a different way that I would suggest than most privately held held uh, held businesses in in our industry. Would would that be fair? Yep, sure. Um, look, I'm fortunate that um, my father John owns uh, the company, and from a you know when I started at. Uh, at an early age, you always said, you know, get it geared up for how I want it once, uh, you know, he decides that he doesn't want to do it anymore. So for the last five or six years, we've spent a lot of money in putting a lot of infrastructure in place. Um, and, you know, it's taken a long time, but there's definitely some some real benefits that we're getting out of it now. Absolutely. It's it's one of those benefits, I think, that you get when you put when you obviously you when you come up with a plan and then have a plan and then strategy and then implementation it's it's one of those things when you when you're planning you don't see the benefits from that plan within a short period of time it's over the longer term that you only get to truly see see the 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 benefits of what you've been able to do 
Yep, sure. So, and, and at our level too, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've implemented was a handful of us. It was our idea, um, and we put the work in. So it takes a long time to change the work habits and environment, particularly with us. We're so large um, across multiple sites. But, you know, once you can embed that into your everyday activities and new people come on board and they learn the same way, the only way that you do it, um, it builds a, you know, a culture of... Um, I suppose, discipline and, and achievement. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously we're talking in a time that, that that has a lot of variables at play. And I know prior to pressing the record button, we were talking through the market conditions uh, in both in both countries. How, how has the, uh, if you could go over the same ground again, if you wouldn't mind, how has the New Zealand market, I suppose, bounced back from the lockdown? Yep. So we went into lockdown at the end of March and came out at the end of April. Um, and straight out, first day out of lockdown, business has been exceptionally good. You know, we we wouldn't have been surprised if we hadn't sold a car for the duration of May. Um, turns out May was probably one of the better months we've had. June's also going to be very similar. So uh, that's also a feeling that's being shared by most other people in the motor trade and in retail in general in New Zealand. Yeah, it's been a very interesting byproduct of the whole of the whole experience is that it seems for whatever reason, there's a, there's a renewed consumer confidence in a way. And it's, it's hard to put your finger on, on what that actually, what that actually, where it's come from. Yeah. It's bizarre because of, uh, you know, we've got a couple of uh, media companies here in New Zealand and for the last, you know, three months, it's been doom and gloom on what's going to happen in the, you know, the job market. Um, and there certainly are a lot of organisations that have had to put staff off over the last couple of months, but that seems to have not have derailed um, any of our buyers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's across all levels. That's from the high-end Mercedes-Benz stuff all the way down to a, a $10,000 used car. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and your background and experience, the one thing that one thing that you and I have in common is that we're both sons of car dealers. Um uh, how, how did you start in the business to begin with? What what uh, what kind of things did you do at the at the back back in the back at your entry point? Yep. So I left school at the end of our year twelve uh, in New Zealand and did a just a business diploma for a couple of years, and then uh, over probably three years worked in parts service um, and administration, and then it was sort of at that time we only had a handful of car dealerships and. When I was 22, 23, we brought a few more. So I sort of moved into a role where uh, or just general troubleshooting, setting up the dealerships, training, things like that. Um, and by doing that, I learned a lot um, that I know now. And then um, five years ago, we set up our management company. And then that, uh, that started with, you know, eight, nine staff. It now has about 22, 23 Um and you know everything's just naturally growing. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think one of the phrases that was thrown around at the start of the whole COVID COVID experience was "never waste a good crisis." You know, and you know, heard that plenty of times. Absolutely, because obviously in crisis is when you learn a lot about. You know, I suppose you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about the business you're in. You learn a lot about the environment you're in. And I think one thing growing up through a business where you've you know, you've you've been involved of you've been involved in projects going in and fixing fixing different departments up. Is that you you learn the business at such an intimate level, don't you? It's one of the gifts. It's one of the gifts of our business, I think. Yeah, and I think our uh, you know people don't realise how advanced our industry has got. You know, the um, 
particularly around the computer side of things, what uh, what we do in our business is significantly more advanced than what a lot of uh, other retail type shops will do. Um, and also it's a lot more competitive because we're selling the same product as our neighbor who's only 30 minutes down the road. So, um, you know, you've got to be right at the front of all that new technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that maybe the, the industry has been guilty of falling a little bit behind of in days gone by. You know, we've, we've, we've been running at a high pace in the last 10 to 15 years, I think, since, since, since internet implementation and beyond. It's been, it's been a very steep learning curve for us. Yeah, well, traditionally car dealers have invested uh, heavily in land and buildings um, and they've done a very good job. You know, the guys that, that own that have done a very good job, but we haven't invested so much in, in uh, the other stuff that we uh, should be doing. It always amazes me that you can hear of these 20, some 25-year-old who's making a fortune selling something online from his living room, whereas we haven't been smart enough to find our own way to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, it, and and I think it's one of those things that's very hard to predict on what the what the dealership model is going to look like potentially in the future, isn't it? I think there's, you could probably mount an argument for three different scenarios. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of talk about uh, this whole online uh, shopping. I don't think it will come to that. People still want to touch and feel and go through that experience. Um, you know, my one would more be the fact of not sure who's going to own all these car dealerships in 20 years' time because the cost of getting in is extremely uh, difficult. The only people that buy car dealerships is other car dealer groups. And when they stop, you know, there's not going to be um, the people there to carry on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. There's a bit of a divide between the segments in a way, isn't there? You know, you look at the you look at the luxury high-end segment. Their, their want is to build great buildings, Make them uh, make these buildings a real experience to, to come to, not only to be a uh, not only to buy a car or to service a car, but these buildings have got cafes and museums and yoga studios and and all of these sort of great little things in them to say we're here we're here to we're here to give you an experience. Uh, and then on the flip side, on the volume side, they're they're thinking small and often, you know. Well, let's have a let's have a Toyota and a Hyundai. And a, and a Kia business within within a shopping centre, rather than rather than having these big big concrete boxes with uh, with dedicated dedicated to lots of uh, to parcels of land. So yeah, I agree. Like New Zealand and Australia have got some of the best car dealerships in the world. If you go somewhere absolutely. in Europe, they'll have a you know a, a substandard property with a whole lot of brands in there. Um, but you know, just given the the financial viability of the industry, it's got to go to um, uh, less capital intensive um, premises. Absolutely, yeah, yep. And as you say, it's it's the the sustainability of the industry is lending that way, isn't it? You know, as you say, the only people that purchase car dealerships in this day and age are other car dealerships, and usually, you know, you can you can see it you can see a time you can see a time in some of these in some of your more metropolitan markets where. Uh, your, your single your, your single site family owned business is probably a, a thing of the past. You know, you you look at especially yeah. some, especially the, with the price of real estate in your part of the world. One of the things that maybe a lot of Aussies don't appreciate is the the price of real estate in markets like Auckland is astronomical by comparison to to other parts of the world. Yeah, um, 
I agree 100%. Um, I think, you know, most car dealers will probably tell you over the years have made their money out of the property, not so much out of the trading company. And unfortunately, that rule's not going to apply to the next generation coming through because it's not going to be the capital gain of buying a property today. It's not going to triple in value in 20 years' time, whereas in the Auckland market, it's definitely done that. Yeah, absolutely. What if you if you could put it into a nutshell, Trent? What what would you say that makes the Ingham Motor Group great? Like what 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 would you what would you you know if you were trying to? It's a hard say, question. Yeah. What 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 would you what would you say what would you say your answer would be? Um. Look, I think. One thing we, and a lot of business business owners will say this, but we have employed some really clever people over the last 10 years and they very much steer us in the, the right direction. You know, we're not an expert at, at any one thing, um, but between us as a, a team, we've got some pretty clever people and we tend to, uh, we don't get it, if we don't get it right the first time, we do eventually get it right. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, I think there's there's things that we'll go into in a little bit that I'm, I'd like to drill into because I think yeah as we said at the start of the at the introduction of the of the of you and the podcast you know one thing that I know to be true is that the business is definitely progressive you know like you've like like a lot of people that operate in our space you've built a sustainable business there's a you know there's obviously there's the dealerships there's the management company there's the real estate um, there's you know, there's the um, you've got an I see you've got an aftermarket repair business which obviously picks up picks up customers that might not have purchased a vehicle from you or worked with the franchises that you have. Um, there's the the uh, rental car business that that obviously helps helps you know helps make the business helps make drives helps drive volume of course but helps make the business sustainable as well as as a a great ongoing asset by itself. Um, and there's also the academy, which is something that that um, I'm very very keen to explore a little bit more in. So, can you can you shed any yep. more light on the on the Ingham Academy? Yep. Uh, so we started that probably close to two years ago, and same uh, problem that we talked about before. It's was a tool to try and attract new people to the industry. It was very much aimed at people under the age of 20, um, in particular trying to get them at 16, 17, 18 years of age at um, high schools and that, not, you know, just to get them thinking about um, the motor industry. And even if they go off to university and, and do a degree, it still doesn't mean that they can't come back and enter into the motor trade. So um, that we have some training content that, content that we've done ourselves, um, but the majority of it's run through a guy named Ian Parker, who's an Australian um, I know Ian very Australia. well. I know Ian very yep. well. Yeah, good guy. So, yep, uh, a lot of it was his content. So we've had about 12 or 13 go through it. It hasn't worked as well as we wanted it to because it hasn't bridged that gap between the high school lever and our industry. Um, so we're still working on that. It's It was definitely our strategic plan to have an advantage for recruiting because putting an advert on Seek is the same as what every other company in, in the country does. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's still very much a work in progress, but something that we're prepared to stick at. Yeah, I think, I think you're on the right pathway because, you know, as you, as you know, I talk to a lot of people. I've talked to I, 
I, uh, I think the number that I'm up to as far as candidate discussions are concerned, I think I'm up to around nine and a half thousand candidate discussions, which is which is which I I fell over when my assistant was telling me that. But the the one the one consistent piece of feedback that I get from having a discussion with a candidate around around role models and who they look up to in their careers. Generally, the common thread with that answer is that the, the candidate always looks up to the person that taught them the most, that, yep. that coached them the most, that engaged with them the most. And they're generally the person that's involved way back at the start of their career, not necessarily through the middle and towards the, towards the, the current space of their career, which is an interesting thing. And the, the other knock-on effect you see from it is that when when – when when people are in an environment where they're being coached and trained and developed and there's a formal pathway they're engaged for a lot longer so you don't have that you don't have that churn and burn that you might have if you were seeking a salesperson for example and and hiring someone else's salesperson when you grow your own you generally they stay in your business for an exponential amount of time longer than what they would have yep no i agree with that unfortunately it's it's quite rare to find uh, you know, a manager who really does take that interest in their staff. Um, they are out there, um, and you're certainly right, the ones that do uh, build loyalty and um, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I think that I think that's part of the a, a part of the solution is is definitely that. And you know, I think the way the the way the industry has evolved, you know, a, a, a modern day sales manager they they're very admin focused. It's a very it's a very paperwork admin numbers focused. It's all about it's all about managing the deal more than managing the person, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yep. Where it probably needs to really be flipped on its head in a way, you know. Yep. Yeah. Um, agree with that. Yeah. Do you think things like the um, like the agency model that obviously Toyota use in New Zealand and and other other brands are are adopting? Um, very soon. Do you think that would help yep. with that? Um, look, I, I think with the agency model, from a, a financial point of view, they can't. If, if a distributor was to, a manufacturer was to implement that, it would have to be on the basis that we're all, all the dealers are going to make some form of money. It might not be what they want or they deserve, but they're certainly going to be profitable. Um, so that offers business owners some, some security in the future to know that. Um, you know, we're going to get a return from the business. Um, on the other hand, you sort of, uh, it's it's harder to get a competitive advantage. You know, I'd rather have every man for himself and the ones who are good at their job and are prepared to learn and invest and find ways to improve are going to do better than those that don't. And I'd put ourselves into, you know, we'd be one of the front runners uh, in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I suppose that a lot of the, a lot of the clients a lot of the clients that we've worked with that that have Toyota businesses, for example, uh, in New Zealand. It depends on the month. Depends on whether they actually appreciate the agency model or don't appreciate the agency model. It's a yep. I would rather be given the opportunity to make some money, and how we what we end up with is, is up to us. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's always been a, it's always been a part of our industry, isn't it? To be the master of your own destiny. Yeah, good or bad. Good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And what do you, what do you see? Yeah, you know, what do you see the the biggest challenges for the industry right now? Like, what, 
What from what you're from yeah. what you're seeing? What what's the biggest what's the biggest pain point? It's still survival, I think, um, over the next twelve months. So the, the the last month and this month is is abnormal given the circumstances. So I think if it it's got to slow down and whether that's in another one, two, three, four, six months, it, it's still gonna happen. Our country's borrowed a lot of money to get through this. Um so it is gonna be be survival. Um and then I suppose the other side of that is yeah your willingness to do it or the passion you've got for it. You know, if you, so a lot of people have probably been in it a long time and do they really want to do the hard yards for another five years? Um, so you got to work out whether you've got the fight in you to do it. Um, that's from a sort of a business owner's perspective. I think for the general running of a business, it's it's the same as it probably was before COVID. Um, manufacturers are still going to want volume. So that pressure, I think you'd be dreaming if you think that the pressure is going to come off, it's going to stay on. Um, so it's going to be pressure for volume and then that's going to drive, um, you know, pressure for staff, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, I think you know, it's, I think inevitably a lot of our challenges are people related, are they? You know, like it's, yeah. whether it's, whether they're customers or whether they're people inside the, whether they're internal or external customers, as they say, a lot of the challenges are, are people, but the way the, the way the industry's panning out, I think the, the next, the next six months is going to be very telling. And, uh, and yeah, the way the, the way the, the way all the, the flow goes, I think you'll, I think you're right. You'll see some, you'll see some, uh, Business owners reach a point where they go, "It's too hard. I'll I'll be a landlord. I'll uh, I'll I'll be a landlord and I'll clip the ticket for rent and I'll um and and give someone else the headache of of managing the day to day operations of my my of the brand and the business." Um, yep. Yeah, I think one of the the biggest um one of the biggest challenges. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier uh, last week, and he said that um you know a lot of the a lot of the businesses that were in the process of being sold and due diligence getting done and, and all of these deals that were getting processed and put through at the moment, prior to COVID, they were worth X amount. And now really no one knows how much a, a business is worth, irrespective of whether you're a car dealer or, or not, I would suggest. So it's, yeah, it's very... Yeah, I think the, the, the values of businesses have been heavily inflated by... Uh, I suppose AHG in particular, what they were paying for car dealerships both in New Zealand and Australia, um, you know, they're not worth that. Good on the ones that did sell for that, but didn't, they were never worth that amount of money. And in today's market, you know, what is a car dealership worth? Yeah. You've got to find a buy for it first. That's the, the first thing. And they might, the, there's not going to be too many buyers queuing up. Yeah, well, I think I think yeah, and finding a buy is one thing. Finding a bank, finding finding a a, a bank that's prepared to uh, to to assist to assist is probably just as just as hard. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have a reputation and you've been doing it a long time and you've got a strong balance sheet, I think uh, that's the only way you're going to get in. Yeah, yeah. What what would you like? What would you like the Inga Motor Group to be in ten years' time from now? What would you? Where do you, where's, where's the vision? Where would you like it to be? I would like to be a, a company where people would leave better than, than they came in, I suppose. Um, you know, I think with training, you'd, uh, I'm not sure the saying is, it was you, you don't worry about the money you spend on them in case they leave. It's if you don't spend it and they stay, that type of thing. Um, yes. I think, uh, you know, if we can just help people reach their goals, I suppose. You help them, they'll help us. Yeah, 
sometimes in our industry there's there's a little bit of a narrow thinking when it comes to um you know it's a classic example of is your academy isn't it you know like back in in the days gone by and an, an idea like the academy wouldn't fly because there wasn't a return on the investment that could be measured there you know it was a it was it's a long term it's a long term investment to to drive the sustainability of the business and you know you look at a you know the classic example is um, wanted wanted a, a new vehicle salesperson experience required. You know that was more common on on our job postings than than happy to hire a trainee because we want to train them our way. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, where now I think the beauty of the modern day is that we actually are really open to it. You know, we know we know that that's going to drive success that's more sustainable. Yep. Yeah, I certainly think you know we're we're not doing it well yet, but the opportunities for people to learn more working within our company, I would say, exceeds most of our competitors, um, because we do you know my this isn't just my job; it's also my hobby. Um, so you know we do things that uh, a lot of people just wouldn't do because they wouldn't see the re- the return or the benefits in it. But it's, it, you've got to make money, but it's not all about a, a financial return as well. No. Um, so I think just continual improvement for us. Absolutely, but a lot, a lot of your, a lot of your, say for example, your GMs in your business and your sales managers in your business, they've been byproduct of the business. They haven't been people that have been parachuted in. Haven't is that? Yep, yep. That's true. Um, yeah, that's for a lot of it now. Yeah, um, I've been in working for the company for about ten years now. Um, so there have been some people that were were here prior to me starting, um, but. Certainly, the ones that we bring in, um, uh, ones who I'd consider will be staying around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's the name of the game. It's a. Uh, I think Steve Jobs said, "We don't we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people and get them to tell us what to do." Yep, yep. That's very much so. Very good, very good. Well, on that note, Trent, I've really appreciated your time today, my friend. I, uh, it's nope. great to get an insight into 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 you and the group and and the things that you're working on. I think there's I think there's been a lot of value added on this side. No problem. All right, mate. Take care. All right. Thank you. See ya. Ta. wherever you are and whatever you're doing. If you're interested in learning more about how automotive talent can add value for you or your business, please make contact through the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care and happy trading.